Habakkuk. We've been here for several, several Sundays, and uh, kind of surprising. I was just going to preach one message out of uh, chapter one, and uh, just something that had been on my heart. And uh, kind of like the prophet Habakkuk, I just kept going with it because one question begot another question, and. Uh, second question, we got a third question, and and uh, here we are, I think, five weeks now, four weeks, five weeks, asking questions out of the book of Habakkuk, and uh, I hope you've got some help out of this. If you ain't, then that's okay. I've got a lot of help out of studying it, and uh, the Lord is good, and so uh, if you, you know, we We've, we've asked several questions, and, and uh, we've gotten ourselves here to the final chapter, Habakkuk chapter number three. So we're going to see what the Lord has for us here today. If you're able and willing to stand in honor and reverence to the reading of the Word of God, and we'll read a couple verses here in Habakkuk chapter number three. And the Bible says, I'm only going to read the first two verses. I, I was going to preach through this passage because, as we know, when you're looking through this, each chapter is a little bit different. The first chapter is split up between God uh, or between Habakkuk asking a question, God answering the question. Then chapter two is the same way. And then the questions stop in chapter three and move forward into praise. And I really thought when I started looking at this that I'd preach probably the entire chapter out of one message, but uh, I couldn't get past the first two verses. So uh, that's what we'll do today and see what other question maybe we can come up with for next week. But but in Habakkuk chapter 3, look in verse number 1. The Bible says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shiganot. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath. Remember mercy. And thank you for standing. You can be seated uh, this morning. Uh, thank you for standing in reverence of the reading of the text today. I pray that it will be a blessing and God would add his blessing to the reading. But we, we've been here for a few weeks or several weeks. And here we are in chapter number three, the final chapter of this little book. As with most of the minor prophets, they're small, but they pack quite a punch. And uh, I began with a simple question, and uh, like I said, I thought it would just be a single message out of chapter number one, and the question was simply this, God, are you even there? God, or God, can you even hear me? And uh, that's what Habakkuk started out with. He said in chapter number one, he said, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? And uh, I began with that question and it's turned into several questions and and just as Habakkuk did, he was answered the first time, and the answer that he received for his first question brought upon a second question. And, and so in the last three or the last several sermons, we've seen two complaints of Habakkuk and two responses from the Lord. And in today's passage, we see that Habakkuk now prays for a revival of God's work. Andrew Telford wrote, speaking of chapter number three, 
This is one of the great chapters in the Bible relative to the needs and conduct of the child of God in a world of war and sin. Let us keep in mind the outstanding truths in each chapter. You see, in chapter number one of Habakkuk, we find faith being tested. In chapter number two, we find faith being trusted. And then in chapter three, we find faith is now uh, triumphing, okay? And so he's questioning God in in chapter one. He's wondering why God won't hear him. Why does it seem like he prays and God's ears are closed to him? Well, uh, God comes on the scene and and, uh, starts talking to him and God tells him what he's going to do. The question was, God, all of this wickedness around me and everything that's going on, how how long are you going to allow it to happen and not do anything about it? Well, God answers him and pretty much says, well, I am going to do something about it and here's what I'm going to do. And so he tells Habakkuk that he's going to use the most wicked empire in the world at the time, the Chaldeans or the Babylonian Empire. He's going to take them. They were the most wicked people around and he's going to take them and he's going to judge his own children using the most wicked society that's ever been. Well, naturally, Habakkuk uh, <laughs> Habakkuk didn't know what to say about that. And Habakkuk turned right around and said, he changed from saying, God, why are you setting back idle? Why aren't you hearing me? Why are you letting all this happen? Well, see, faith is being tested. But here's the thing. When God tells him how he's going to judge these people, he says, now, wait a minute, God. Are you sure that's what you're going to do? Are you sure that's a good idea? Wait a minute, wait a minute. And here's how I applied it in the message. How would you feel if you kept praying that God would judge America and God would judge the people around us and He would avenge all of the wrongs going on in America? And by the way, I do pray that He would do that. But what would you say if God came to you and said, okay, yes, I am going to answer you. Uh, I'm sending China to overthrow America. Because that's essentially what is going on in Habakkuk chapter 1 and chapter 2. And so um, in in chapter 3 though, all throughout, well, that's chapter 1, chapter 2 comes in and Habakkuk finally, he just says, I'm going to stand on my watch and I'm going to set upon the tower and I will watch and wait and see what he will say unto me. Habakkuk's pretty much just sitting there and he's going to wait as long as he has to for God to answer his second question. So anyways, we move on and and so faith is being tested, but then we see Habakkuk move to where faith is being trusted. He gets to the point where he says, well, God, whatever you want to do, you're the sovereign God of the universe and you're right and you're just to do it. Then he gives us that all important phrase, the just shall live by his faith. He reminds us, hey, we, 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 don't, we don't live according to what our eyes see all around us. We live according to faith in the God of the heavens that knows what He's doing. And whatever He decides to do is right. And it's just. And it's good. No matter what it is. And so He goes from... Uh, from his faith being tested to his faith being tr- uh, for uh, to to faith trusting God, even though he couldn't figure it out, even though he didn't know what was going on, he's just trusting God. And then in chapter three, we find that God turns Habakkuk's sighing into singing. Now we stopped last week with the last phrase we find in chapter two in verse number twenty, where the Bible says, "Let all the earth keep silence before him." 
You see, Habakkuk at this point has no more questions. He has learned that God is just and God is holy. So in complete submission, what does he do? He bows in prayer. We, like Habakkuk, must learn to wait before the Lord in prayer and listen to His Word. And after receiving the promises and predictions in chapter 1 and chapter 2, Habakkuk concludes his prophecy with prayer and praise. As a matter of fact, this chapter takes the form of a psalm. And so uh, today, for a little while, even though it's not a question of Habakkuk, it is not a question asked in this verse, I'm going to preach on a question though. Might as well, I've asked so many so far. And the question today is, God, can you send revival? And don't answer that. <laughs> I'm going somewhere with it. I know, I know, it, it's quick. Amen, hallelujah, yes, he can. Why? Because God can do anything he wants to do. But it's a trick question, and you'll have to stick around to the end to see why I said don't answer yet. So notice with me. Let's notice this prayer of Habakkuk. It starts off in verse 1. The Bible tells us a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shiganot. Yes, it took me a while to learn how to pronounce that. Now that God has answered Habakkuk's questions, he brings a prayer to close the book. The word Shiganot refers to a unique musical term used to describe the style or genre or genre of the prayer that follows. I, I mentioned already it takes the form of a psalm, so it is a song, okay? It's a prayer that can be sung. Scholars suggest that Shiganot denotes a mournful or lamenting melody, indicating the solemn tone of Habakkuk's prayer here. This makes sense considering the overall context of the entire book of Habakkuk as Habakkuk is grappling with the impending judgment and destruction of his own people, the people of Judah. Now, the use of this musical term might uh, signify the prophet's emotional state and his deep longing for spiritual revival in the midst of challenging times. It is a loud cry in a time of danger or joy. That's what that $5 word means. In other words, the heart of Habakkuk is stirred to its very depths at everything that he has seen and heard. He has been moved by the revelation that, uh, that God gave him in the previous chapter. And now he turns to the one who is their only help or their only hope and he cries out to God. Now George W. Hervey wrote, The foremost means of getting ready for an awakening is prayer. W.B. Pierce wrote, prayer is the starting point of revival. Dr. C.E. Altry wrote, prayer is the one feature which is found in every great move of God. If you're calling something a move of God, but yet it's not bathed in prayer, I promise it is not a move of God. Amen! We've got biblical authority on that. What's going on here? Well, Habakkuk's getting down to business with God in his prayer. At this point, studying through the book, I can almost hear Habakkuk. If he was here today, I could almost hear him. Oh, Lord, 
I'm so sick and tired of the wickedness around me. I'm so sick and tired of the spiritual wretchedness. I'm so sick and tired of the way things are. I'm sick and tired of seeing your word rejected. I'm sick of seeing people that couldn't care any less about your will. I'm sick and tired of people steeped in their sin and living their life like nothing's going to happen. As a, I mean... His own people were like that. We were talking, don't forget we started out. You know, chapter 2 was all about the Chaldeans of the Babylonian Empire. But chapter 1, we're talking about the children of Israel. We're talking about God's people. We're just as wicked. Yeah, if not more so. Well, what do you mean more so? Babylon was the wickedest empire ever. Yeah, but God's people knew different. They knew better. You think about it with your own children or, uh, you know, it, 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 the, the punishment get, tends to get a little bit more severe when they ought to know better. Am I the only one like it? After I've told them several times and I catch them doing something they know without a shadow of a doubt they are not allowed to do or they are not supposed to do, that punishment gets more severe. So what happens? The prophet pours his soul out to God according to Shiganot. Or you could say it like this, according to the pain he felt for his people. And you want to know something this morning? You don't have to beg a desperate man to pray. Hey, let me tell you, you let the money disappear. You let the food disappear from the cabinets. You lose your insurance and have the kids get sick. You let your job disappear. You don't have to beg someone in that position to pray. They'll pray like there's no tomorrow. Yeah, they'll pray like they've never prayed before. You want to know why? Because they are desperate. When a man gets desperate, he will call upon God from the very depths of his soul to solve the problem, to meet the need, to answer the prayer. And our problem today is we are no longer desperate about anything. The church is not desperate. The people in the church are not desperate. Pastors are not desperate. Preachers are not desperate. Where is the desperation in our day? Where are the tears? Circumstances are God's way of getting our attention. And many times God moves things and me moves people to bring about a search for God. So what does Habakkuk pray? What does he pray? Look in verse 2. He says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known. In wrath remember mercy. Now his prayer goes all the way to the end of the chapter. But I want to stop right here because in verse 2 we find the only petition that Habakkuk makes in his prayer. Verse 2, he makes a petition. And then in verses 4 through the end of the chapter, verse number 19, he gives praise. Verse 2 is the only time we see a petition. That's what I want to stop at and look at this morning. The remainder is a praise to God who delivered His people in the past and who's going to deliver them in the future. But right here, we have the petition. Here's what He says. O Lord, I have heard Thy speech and was afraid. 
Habakkuk had heard the word of the Lord and it shook him to his core. He had come to the realization that the Chaldeans would defeat Judah and that others would in turn defeat the Chaldeans. Habakkuk was seeing a series of wars and he knew that wars led to famines. He knew wars led to hardship. He knew war led to death. Therefore, he was afraid. I would be too. As I mentioned when I was preaching out of chapter 2, you let some superpower like China come in and overthrow America. Yeah, what do you think is going to happen? It's going to be bad. But that is an equivalent. That is a modern day equivalent of what we see going on here in the book of Habakkuk. Now, he was afraid because of the hardship. He was afraid because of the famine. He was afraid because of the death. But let me just say, the Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He says, I have heard thy speech and was it afraid. Why was he afraid? Because he knew that God was going to do what God said he was going to do. There was no backing down. There was no change in mind. Habakkuk knew God meant what he said and said what he meant. And you know what, I would, I would think this, and Habakkuk probably did, even though it's not written here, uh, but I would say that, uh, that concerning being afraid, I think uh, today some things I would think about is we should be afraid for the millions that are headed for an eternal hell. We should be afraid for the church that is like the Laodicean church. The Bible says they are increased with goods and have need of nothing. That is our problem. We don't need anything anymore. You notice what I mentioned talking about a man that is desperate. A man that, that is desperate and in need of prayer. When the money goes, you'll be desperate. When the food goes, you'll be desperate. The job goes when the, when the family gets sick. We've had it so good for so long. We're not desperate about anything anymore. We've had it so good for so long. What was Laodicea's problem? They were rich and increased with goods. We should be afraid for the apostasy in the church that is leading it to ecumenalism and, 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 and you know this whole idea of the, the, the major churches, they all want to get together, the Mormons and the Catholics and the Baptists and, and the Methodists and the Presbyterians. Hey, we can't get together. We don't believe the same. How can you get together and agree with someone that doesn't believe in the core fundamental doctrines, even the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of salvation being uh, by faith alone, in, in Christ alone, by grace alone, uh, versus works? How can you all get together and agree when you don't agree on the core beliefs? I don't split hairs with everybody out here. I know good people I believe is going to heaven. I don't agree with them 100%. That's okay. But I tell you what, the only people I get along with, we at least can see eye to eye on a few things. And that is, God is a triune God. Salvation is in Christ alone and not by my own works. Amen? Believe that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
We all need a Savior that, that uh, I believe in the virgin birth. You don't believe in the virgin birth, we can't get along. If you don't believe Jesus is God in the flesh, we can't get along. And yet, what are we here today? Well, we all believe God is love, so let's just get along. God is love, but uh, when's the last time you read the Old Testament? When's the last time you read Revelation? God's also a God of wrath. We're going to see that in a minute. We should be afraid for the blood of souls that will be required at our hands. What are you talking about, preacher? I'm talking about all the people we should have witnessed to, but we didn't. I'm talking about all the people that may have saw us on a bad day and they decided they don't want to have nothing to do with God if that's what we are. I'm just getting real. I don't know any other way to be. Those things should scare us. Like Habakkuk, we should be shaken to our core. Now the next part of verse 2 says this. It says, O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. What's the petition? What's he praying for? He's simply praying for revival. He knew how God once worked. And how his people once responded. And Habakkuk wanted to see it again. We see the only solution right here though. Habakkuk says, oh Lord. Who's he praying to? Oh Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. That's the only solution. It's the Lord that we must carry our... our uh, both our own and our church's troubles. The only prayer is to God. He was going in the right place. Habakkuk didn't turn to a brother. He didn't turn to a nation. He didn't turn to an educator. He turned to the Lord. Why is this? Well, God's church is God's work and therefore God is necessary. The word revive comes from two words when put together literally mean to live again. To live again. So by its own definition, something's died. In other words, when revival comes, God will bring back to life something that has died. There once was life, but the life had withered away. Thus God blows the breath of revival and the dead bones in the valley begin to live again. Go read Ezekiel. I was reading a portion of Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest the other day, and he said this, It is much easier to do something than to trust in God. We mistake panic for inspiration. That is why there are so few fellow workers with God and so many workers for God. We would rather work for God than believe in God. And I just say it like this, religion. On the same point, A.W. Tozer wrote this. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and nobody would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. 
My, have we changed. We desperately need God to bring back the life that has withered away in our churches. The problem is, somewhere back in time, we found a rut to get in. You know what happens when you get in a rut? If you don't get out of the rut, it'll turn into a rote. Well, what's that? Well, you just keep going in circles doing your rut. And you know what a rote turns into? Rot. That's why our churches are dead. They've been in ruts too long. They've went in circles in their roots for two. And by the way, that ain't mine. Go home, find you a book from A.W. Tozer called Rut, Rot, or Revival. It'll change. I'm telling you, it's a good book. I mean, he wrote it, I don't know how many years ago, but yet every single thing he writes about is the church today. It's our independent Baptist churches. It's our Southern Baptist churches. It's our independent... I mean, it's everywhere. And you know, one of the biggest problems, we can't stand change. I'm just going to get it all. You might vote me out tonight. People can't stand to do something different than they've done for the past 50 years. And you know what? If you're not going to change, you're going to die in a rut. We've said it for you. Oh, we're going to have this revival meeting. We're going to have this revival service. We're going to do. I don't even like calling them revivals. You know why? You don't schedule revival. Revival is a state of life. It's when God has brought back to life something that was once alive and is now dead. Stuck in a rut. You know what He does? He comes along and He takes a big old shovel and He pulls us out of the rut. Brings us back to life. That's what we desperately need. But here's the problem. It's just like the old sinner out here living his life, living in the world that needs to be saved. Until he sees the need of salvation, he ain't going to get saved. And church, until you see the fact that you're stuck in a rut, you're never going to get revival. I didn't mean to preach like this this morning. I've been trying to calm down and save my voice. <sighs> We desperately need God to bring back life. Life that once, that once, I mean, once was life, but yet it has died. We need God to breathe on the dead bones. In the words of the song, Send the Rain from the Rochesters. It says, I'm tired of just the same old thing, of tradition wearing out your name. I'm tired of a man-made worship hour. I'm tired, I'm tired of a song without any praise where worshiping you is out of place. I'm tired of religious formality. I'm tired of it. You know, most of us are so stuck on taking what's better we never get to what's best. Only the power of God can bring the church out of the rut that it is in. 
This is why Habakkuk refers to the work of revival as thy work. He's praying to God. He's telling God, it's your work. Only you can do this reviving. It can't be worked up. It can't be made up. It can't be propped up. It's a work that only God can do for us, in us, and to us. And so he goes on to say again, in the midst of the years, make known. Habakkuk longed for God to do a work that was evident to everyone as a work of God. I prayed for the church this morning. I prayed for some dear brothers that were going to stand and preach this morning. I prayed for our church. I prayed for their church. And one of the things I prayed is that God would do a work in our churches that nobody else can get credit for. Because it's His work. Nobody else can do it. Heard a guy say this past week that that uh, in most churches today, and he was referring to a lot of the modern churches, a lot of the churches, and I know not all of them are like this, but he said this, he said if the power were to go out and we couldn't plug in our amps and we couldn't plug in our, our video, uh, uh, video systems and we couldn't plug in our screens and we couldn't plug in our guitars, then we would have no worship. And he said, why does worship depend on any of those things? He said, my question is, is in the middle of a song in the morning, on Sunday morning, if everything cut off, if everything went away, could we still continue worship? He said, if you're truly worshiping, it would. But man, what a question. Habakkuk longed for God to do a work that was evident to everybody that it was God's work. Dr. Ronnie Simpson writes this. He said he does not want to wait. His prayer is for a present and immediate revival. He is saying, God, in the midst of chastisement, let it not be killed. In the midst of bondage, save a remnant alive to be a seed of another generation. Whatever becomes of us, God, though we be as dead and dry bones, oh God, let thy work be revived. Let it not sink. Let it not go back. Let it not come to nothing. Though we be buried in obscurity, yet God, make Thyself known, O Lord. Whatever becomes of Habakkuk, let not the God of Israel be forgotten. That's what he's praying. Revive Thy work. Here's the point. God always reveals Himself. Look at that. He says, he says, Oh Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. God always reveals Himself in the midst of the years. It was in the midst of the fiery furnace that God revealed Himself. It was in the midst of the den of lions that God revealed Himself. It was in the midst of the thieves on the cross that God revealed Himself. It was in the midst of the seven churches that Jesus revealed Himself. It's in the midst of two or three that are gathered in His name that He will reveal Himself. It was in the midst of the two disciples walking along the road to Emmaus that day that He revealed Himself. Hey, more recently, I'll never forget, back in 2016, in the midst of a youth meeting, God revealed Himself. And we had true revival for seven or eight weeks. He's still doing it. I read in a prayer letter during uh, back there in between Sunday school. I was getting them ready for tonight, making some notes. And uh, uh, Brother Jeremiah Simpson was talking about a revival he was in earlier this week that went for several weeks and had many people saved and many saints revived. And hey, God is still doing it, but it's always in the midst when He reveals Himself. Verse 2. 
concludes the petition here. He says, in wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk's prayed knowing well that they didn't deserve revival. Yeah. He knows good and well they don't deserve revival. So he prays for mercy. The idea here is, Lord, I know that we deserve Your wrath, but in the midst of Your wrath, remember mercy and send a revival to us. You know, when you go down through the pages of the history books, even the pages of the Bible, look over in the book of Acts. God has always revived the church in the midst of persecution. The children of Israel are about to face some extreme persecution here by the wickedest empire in the world raining down their wrath upon them. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be turned into slaves. They're going to lose all their rights. God brings them revival. Habakkuk prays, Oh Lord, if you will not withdraw your punishment, then please do not withdraw your power, your presence, and your pardon. He begs God to remember mercy when he is judging their nation. He knows his own people have sinned. He knows God's going to punish them for it. He knows the storm is coming. And he trembles as he thinks of what the outcome of the judgment of God might be. Because he knows God is holy and God must punish sin. In 1996, at the opening session of the Kansas State Senate, Pastor Joe Wright was asked to open the new session in prayer. Everybody was expecting the usual generalities, you know, when, when something big like that happens, you know, they pray a little nice prayer, squirt some rose water out, you know. Everybody was expecting that, but instead this is what they heard. And I quote verbatim, he says, Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and to seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says woe to those who call evil good, but that is exactly what we've done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and reversed our values. We have exploited the poor and called it the lottery. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed our unborn and called it choice. We have shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We have neglected to discipline our children and called it building self-esteem. We have abused power and called it politics. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O God, and know our hearts today. Cleanse us from every sin and set us free. Amen. That's a prayer which echoes what we see in these verses from Habakkuk. It's a prayer that God in wrath will remember mercy. 
Bible says, a prayer of Habakkuk, Habakkuk to the prophet upon Shigenot. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. Friends, we are in desperate need of a revival in America. We are in desperate need of a revival of the church. We are in desperate need of revival in our own hearts. The question is, God, can you send revival? Before you say amen to that, before you say of course He can, and that's true. That's true. The Bible says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? No. The Bible says, with God all things are possible. Nothing shall be impossible. But before you say those things, I believe the answer lies in these questions that we have to ask ourselves. Number one, are you willing to pay the price? Ravenhill always said, I like what he means by it, he always said of salvation that costs nothing is worth nothing. Hey, I'm just telling you, I still believe in the Bible, and I take it literally when it says that if a man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I still believe in that. I believe people will change. I believe their attitudes will change. I believe their behaviors will change. Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to let God have His way with your life? That is the problem. We're all so quick to give God our eternity. We're not so quick to submit to Him in our current life. Are you willing to God? Are you willing to let God do His work in your life? It may not be what you like. I like what the theologian J.I. Packer said. He said, God may call you to do something you absolutely hate. And He'll help you learn to love it. You know why? Because it ain't up to you. It's not your breath. You're, it's not your air you're breathing. It's not your life. You're, it's God's. Are you willing to allow Him to revive everything that is in your circle? Are you, are, you, are you willing to allow Him to pop you out of the rut that you've been in? I said it this way to somebody. In 2016, when I got serious with God, I got right with God. There's something He's been doing to me ever since, and I hate it. You want to know what it is? He is constantly taking me out of my comfort zone. I don't like that. That's what he's done every moment since I got serious with him. He's put me in some of the most, I'm just being real with you. He's put me in some of the most just, just absolutely, like for my flesh, it is just moments that cringe. But I'm happier now than I've ever been. Yeah. He'll take you out. Are we willing to allow Him to do that though? 
Most people aren't. And that's why we never do anything. That's why you get in your rut, you get in your rote, and you eventually rot. Because I'll tell you what I got from the Lord that night that I got serious with Him. God speaks through His Word. And on that altar that night, or sitting in the pew rather, it's like he came to me and sat down on my shoulder, sat down right next to me, and he said, you can either submit your life to me or you can sit on a shelf and be miserable the rest of your life. I'll let you keep on in that rut you've dug for yourself. There's a lot of people that's made the wrong decision with that. They've said, God, no, I, I, I like being comfortable. I'm going to stay in my comfort zone. It's okay, God. You take me to heaven when I die, everything will be all right. It sounds scary, don't it? People everywhere has done that. That's why we got church full of people that don't do nothing. Are you willing to have revival? Are you willing to pay the cost of having revival? You know, if you will pay the price, if you will allow God to have His way with your life, if you will let God do His work through your life, if you allow Him to get you out of that rut, or get you out of that rut, you will experience His power. And you will experience His presence. And you will experience His pardon in a whole new way. And by the way, that was the only hope for Judah. That was the only hope for America. That is the only hope for the church. That is the only hope for you and I today. Is to submit ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. It's only reasonable. It's only reasonable that we do that. So can God send revival? I believe He can. But He ain't going to send us something we don't want. Yeah, let's stand and bow our heads, close our eyes. Miss Dawn, you come play softly for us.